Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Appreciate all of you tuning in as we prepare to study a portion of God's Word here this morning. The topic I would like for us to spend a few minutes on this morning is a question in search of an answer. A question in search of an answer. You know, we like to ask questions. It's part of what makes us human. Especially, we like to ask questions when we're young. It seems as if sometimes children are simply a bottle of questions really trying to, to get out. Lots of questions when people are young, such as, why is the sky blue? That's a very good question. And when a child asks that, they're really not wanting to hear about light refracting based on the wavelength and all that kind of thing. They just want to know, why is the sky always so, such a pretty blue? Why do we need to sleep? That's another very common question. And is usually asked when a child really does need to be sleeping or going to a nap. Where does water go when it goes down the drain? When you think about it, that's a true marvel to somebody who's young. Water runs and runs and runs and disappears down that drain. Where does it go? Where does it go? Or simply, why, why, why? One question given an answer will lead to another question, which given an answer will lead to another question. It's part of how we learn is by asking questions. Some questions, however, are a little harder to answer. Why do some people lose the hair on the top of their heads? You know, I really don't have a very good answer for that one. Some questions, however, are much more serious than the ones we have seen here so far. And I want to look at a question in search of an answer that we're going to find in Scripture. When we look at Job 14, that's where we'll spend the majority of our time here this morning. And then we'll turn over to the Gospel of John here in just a moment. But Job 14, beginning in verse 1, we read, Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Death. It's one certain thing that we all have in common. We won't all experience everything in common in life, but we all have a future appointment with death. The word death occurs 459 times in the English Standard Version of the Bible. It occurs a lot more often than that when you include words such as die, dies, died. It's a very common word and a very common event in the Bible. We are born and we die. Adam was the first to live, yet in Genesis 5-5 we read, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. We are all going to die. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, for as in Adam all die. All of us are going to die just like Adam did. In Job 30, verse 23, Job says, For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Once again, we are all going to the same place. We all have a future encounter with death. Psalm 89, verse 47 and 48, the psalmist says, Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? The answer is, of course, no one. 
other than, of course, Elijah, Enoch, and anyone who happens to be alive when Jesus returns. But for the rest of us, there is not going to be any escape. Continuing back in Job 14, Job says, For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. Now, I don't know if you can tell too well from that picture right there, but that is a rose bush. I might even call it a rose tree. This thing is fairly monstrous. When it was full grown, it was essentially the size that I am, a good six feet. Thorns that were well over an inch long. This thing, uh, if it moved, I would run away because it really appears like a monster. I hacked at this thing. I took saws to it. I took a hatchet to it. I whacked that thing back to a stump. What did it do? It grew back. So this year, I've cut it back and I've salted the thing. It needs to die. But this is the kind of plant, the kind of tree that Job's talking about. If it appears dead at the scent of water, it comes back. But look what he says. The the tree, there's hope for a tree, but that we are not at all like a tree. We do not even have the hope of a tree. A tree may appear dead and will come back at the scent of water. Not so for you and me. We don't even have the hope of a tree. Then comes Job 14, verse 10. A question. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? That's a good question. The study of where we go after we die is a very important question, and it's a good subject for study. But that is not the question. That is a question about death, but that is not the question I want us to consider here this morning. Continuing on in Job 14, 11, and 12, we read, As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lays down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. The question about death occurs in Job 14, 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? So much more important in many ways than where we might go after death. If a man, if a woman dies, will we live again? That is, in many ways, I would suggest, the question about death. And this question matters. Why? Well, I want you to think for a moment. If the answer is no, If a man dies, will they live again? If the answer is no, then that has implications for our behavior. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. If the dead are not raised, Paul said, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. A couple of verses before, chapter 15, verse 9, Paul had said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If a man dies, shall he live again? If the answer is no, Paul would agree, live it up. If this is the only life there is, go for the gusto, 
was the way it was phrased in a commercial, as I recall, back in the 70s. Might as well get what you can because this is your only go-round in life. Paul said, if the dead are not raised, if the answer is no, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, if the answer is no, if this is all there is. So if a man dies, shall he live again? The answer to that question is very, very important. Very important. Yes or no? What is the answer? For that, I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning over in John chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11, if you would turn over there with me. And let's see what the answer to this very important question about death, if a man dies, shall he live again? Picking up in John 11, verse 17 through 21, we read, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. Continuing. Martha had said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I want you to notice, Jesus has answered the question. If a man dies, will he live again? Jesus tells Martha, your brother will rise again. So if we believe in Jesus, the answer to our question, if a man dies, shall he live again, is yes. It is yes. So he gives an answer, but how can this be? How can this be? How is it possible to rise again? How would Jesus know that we're going to rise again? Well, let's keep reading in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha is a very good student of Jewish thought in the Bible at this time. She answers straight away that I know he will rise again in the last day. You know, in other passages in the New Testament between Mary and Martha, Martha is the one that usually kind of takes it on the chin, a whack to the chin, because she is the one concerned in the other location with the refreshments while Mary is sitting listening to Jesus. Notice here, it's Martha who came out to Jesus. Martha who said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha who says, I know that he, my brother Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha is the one speaking to Jesus and giving the proper answers based on her faith. Martha responds, she knows her brother is going to rise again at the last day, but again, how? How is this possible? I want you to focus on something rather morbid, but let's face the facts. Now, I will fully grant you, you may very well be thinking, well, Gene, this entire conversation so far this morning has been rather morbid, but I want us to face the facts. I am going to die. I am going to die. There's going to be a day when my eyes will no longer open up first thing in the morning. 
I am going to die. Now, I know we're not physically together, but I want to take a moment and I want to ask you, as you're watching this, to repeat that with me. I want you to say it out loud. So we're going to do it in just a moment. I'll get ready for this. Okay, are you ready? Say it with me. I am going to die. It's been my experience that saying that out loud, hearing ourselves say that helps focus the mind. Because so often we would really rather not think about the fact that we're going to die. Young people think they're immortal. They think they will live forever. Those of us as we get older really just want, kind of want to pretend we don't see that approaching day of death, which is coming for all of us. So the question will be, what are we going to do about it? Hebrews 9.27, the writer of Hebrews says, And as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, after death, the judgment. Will I ever live again? Yes. The question is in what situation, in what condition, strangely enough, to what future? Once I die, I have some future coming based on, as the writer of Hebrews says here, the judgment. Based on the judgment. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's going to be based upon how I am living. If I'm living to sin, my future is going to be death. But if I am in the situation of receiving the gift of God, the future is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we live for ourselves, we will die in sin. That's really it. If my life is made up of choices that benefit me, that satisfies my needs, my wants, my desires at the expense of other people, if my life is focused on me rather than what God wants me to do, I am living in sin. My only future is death. The only future. We all have the future of death. Don't get me wrong. We're all going to die, period. But after this, the judgment. If I live my life for myself, I will die in sin. However, if we are a member of God's family, if we are living for God, we are promised the gift of eternal life with Him. We saw this verse in 1 Corinthians 15 a few minutes ago. It started off, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In our physical reality that we have and that we shared with Adam, we are all physically going to die. But the really important aspect of that is not so much Adam's physical death, but was his spiritual death, Eve's spiritual death when they chose that first time to live for themselves. Once we make that choice, once I live for myself, I am headed toward a date with death, dying in my sin. The only hope I have is that I will be made alive through Jesus Christ when I turn my back on that life of living for myself. The only question, we've seen a couple of questions so far. 
The only question that really matters comes next. Look at the question that is asked. We saw a question about death. We saw questions in John 11. Here is the only question to me that really matters. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. John is full of these statements where I am is the beginning phrasing. Not only is he claiming this for himself, but a Jewish listener would have heard God in those kinds of statements because God is the great I am and Jesus claims divinity with many of these statements. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That seems so strange. It seems so odd because it is out of our physical experience. The greatest objection the world can offer to the resurrection is the fact that we all see that dead men don't rise up from the grave. I've never seen one. But through our eye of faith, through history as recorded in the New Testament, Jesus did conquer death. In this statement, he says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Yet he, though he die, yet shall he live. Look at the next statement. He tells Martha, do you believe this? That's the question. That is the question looking for an answer from you and from me. Do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do I believe that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live? Do I believe that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die? Jesus asked that question of Martha. He asked that question of each of us this morning and every day that we wake up. Do we believe this? Does my life show that I believe that? If my life is built upon living for myself, if my life shows that I'm more concerned with the three favorite people, me, myself, and I, than I am about the lives of other people, if I'm more concerned with my needs, my wants, than my neighbor who is close, who is hungry, who is thirsty, who needs clothing, who needs care and concern. If my life shows I am at the top of my list of priorities, I don't believe that no matter what I say. My actions will speak so much louder as an answer to this question than mere words will. Do you believe this? Martha, said, Martha did believe this. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. You know, we pay so much attention to Matthew chapter 16, where Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha says the same statement right here. She believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God who was coming into the world. She has the right answer. She has the right answer. Do you believe this? So that is our question this morning. And it's such a terribly important question. It really is. Only you can look at your life and see what the answer is you have been leaving behind you on the trail of your past days.
Look at your life. I need to look at my life. What does my life show the world as an answer to that question? Have I been loving my neighbor? Have I been seeing my neighbor and noticing that my neighbor needs something I have that I can help with? Or am I so busy with what I want to do, what's important to me, making sure I am happy, making sure I am having pleasure, that I ignore the people around me? I can only answer that question, yes, if my life is focused on loving God and loving my neighbor. That's really Christianity in two broad statements. What does my life look like? Do I truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? It's the only question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Because everyone who believes in Jesus will never, ever die. That is the question I want to leave with you this morning. If you are not yet a member of God's family, please, please don't let a day go by without reaching out to someone, Lindsley Avenue, some minister, some Christian, doesn't have to be someone with a title, and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that he is the resurrection and the life. I want to live with him. That will involve dying to yourself, being buried to be raised to walk in newness of life through baptism. Got to leave the old life behind. I can't focus on myself. I have to focus on helping other people, loving them, and living my life for God. Do you believe this? Things to consider this morning. As we gather around the Lord's table this morning, even though we are not physically gathered together, we still gather around the table to remember what Jesus did for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, passage we often read when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, the focus is on Jesus. The focus is on what he did to give us the opportunity for life. The sacrifice he made that needs to have a result, an effect in our lives. No longer can we live for ourselves we have to focus on being the kind of people that God wants us to be. If you look down to verse 27 of chapter 11, Paul said, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. An unworthy manner doesn't have anything to do with whether I am worthy. I am never going to be worthy on my own. Not at all. But it's a matter of looking inward and examining ourselves so that we can see how does my life look compared to what it's supposed to be. Every week when we gather around the Lord's table, 
It's an examination of what has my life been like this past week. Jesus died for me. He gave his body so that I would have the opportunity for life. How am I responding to that incredible gift? So as we partake of the bread of the Lord's table here this morning, that's what I believe we should focus on. The sacrifice Jesus made, his body given for us, and then what our lives look like compared to what they ought to be. Will you bow with me, please? Father, we are so thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, that you sent your son so that he would live the perfect life and then die on a cross so that we would have the potential for the gift of eternal life. Father, as we partake of this bread, please help us to reflect on that sacrifice and to rededicate ourselves to living the lives you would have us live by loving our neighbor and loving you. It is through your son we pray. Amen. Another passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says as well that in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When we partake of this cup, fruit of the vine, we are remembering the blood that Jesus shed. His body was on the cross and his blood was shed on that cross so that with the shedding of his blood there might be forgiveness of sins. Because he died, I don't have to die. I have the opportunity to go live with God forever through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And as often as we get together and do this each week, we are proclaiming to the world and to ourselves the Lord's death until he comes again. So as we partake of the fruit of the vine, let's remember how great a sacrifice Jesus made for you and me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we are so thankful again for the sacrifice of your son the blood that he shed on our behalf so that we would not face the punishment for the sins that we have committed, that we might have the opportunity for forgiveness, that we would receive the gift of eternal life to go and to live with you. As we drink this cup, Father, please help us to focus on the change in our lives that needs to be made because of the sacrifice Jesus made for each of us. It is through his name we pray. Amen. Not actually part of the Lord's Supper, but usually at this time we take the opportunity to give as we have been prospered. Since we are not meeting together as a group, please make sure that the opportunity to give does not pass you by. We need to remember that these worldly goods that we have been given have been given to us for a purpose, to use them so that God's kingdom here on the earth might prosper. So I would ask that we purpose in our hearts decide the giving that we are going to do and that we make sure that those gifts are in fact received as they should. Let us pray. 
Father, we're so thankful for all the blessings that we have. Please help us to use these gifts you have provided to help others and to contribute to the ongoing work of your kingdom here on the earth. Help us, Father, to never look to our possessions as security, as comfort, but to always put our faith and trust and love and hope in you. Dear Son, we pray. Amen.